1: Welcome to Pastor Yeshua! In this episode, and by God's grace, episodes to follow, we revisit a popular topic wherein we continue to look at various apparent supposed Bible contradictions presented by atheists, skeptics, and humanists. As before, we will examine them against what the Bible says in context according to proper exegesis using the languages in question, correct grammar, the culture of the day, and most importantly, the prism of spiritual discernment given by God to those who truly desire to understand His revelation of Himself and His relationship to man. As a prelude to answering any apparent Bible contradictions, if you, as a listener, have not done so already, Listening to the introductory episode regarding questions about contradictions will be an indispensable prologue to fully understanding, or more importantly, answering any question or apparent contradiction which exists. Therefore, I will have to rely from this point forward on the listener, to faithfully adopt the biblical posture of the Berean Bible student who is willing and able to do their own respective homework in order to avoid the pitfalls inherent from failing to do so. In the episodes to date, we have examined and answered 35 questions regarding supposed Bible contradictions from our old friend, Mr. Ash, the atheist, skeptic, and humanist. In this episode, we continue to help Mr. Ash with his various questions regarding the veracity and consistency of God's Word, the Bible. With this in mind, let us consider addressing the following questions about apparent contradictions put forth by Mr. Ash. For our next randomly selected question, Mr. Ash asks, Is the earth permanent or impermanent? For this example, Mr. Ash concocts his apparent contradiction in comparing the following two verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4, One generation passes away, AND ANOTHER GENERATION COMETH, BUT THE EARTH ABIDETH FOREVER." Unquote. MR. ASHE THEN COMPARES THIS WITH Second PETER CHAPTER 3, VERSE 10, WHICH SAYS, QUOTE, BUT THE DAY OF THE LORD WILL COME AS A THIEF IN THE NIGHT, IN THE WHICH THE HEAVENS SHALL PASS AWAY WITH A GREAT NOISE, AND THE ELEMENTS SHALL MELT WITH a FERVENT HEAT the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, Now, in case you didn't catch it, Mr. Ash is under the false assumption here that in one case, i.e. Ecclesiastes, is saying that the earth will never be destroyed, while Peter is saying that the earth will be burned up and consequently destroyed. Therefore, in Mr. Ash's reasoning, there is an unassailable contradiction. God has made a complete blunder, and hence there is no God, because if there were, Mr. Ash would never be able to find any supposed contradictions. However, Mr. Ash fails to understand that the Bible is not one book, but rather is an encyclopedia of 66 books by 40 authors who use not one, but many genres to convey God's progressive revelation to man. So, for example, in the first instance of Ecclesiastes, it is critical to understand that this book is one of many which falls within the scope of what is referred to as wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is a subset genre of literature, which generally consists of various statements, pithy sayings, and musings by sages and wise men, which teach and philosophize about life, virtue, good, evil, the nature of God, and the plight of man, the key to resolving the oft misunderstanding of Ecclesiastes is given to us first in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3, which says, quote, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Unquote. The phrase, quote, under the sun, unquote, is a Hebrew idiom meaning i.e. life without God, or apart from God. This idiom, which reoccurs some 20 times in the book, clearly tells us that the writer, and ultimately God who is inspiring the writer, are attempting to look at life and the human condition if we proceed with the assumption that there is no God, or we attempt to live life ignoring God. In every case, the writer again repeatedly concludes that when we do so, ultimately, all is vanity. Everything falls into silence, and there is no source for ultimate authority, meaning, morals, truth, beauty, or significance in life. Take verse 4: One generation passes away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Unquote. Essentially, verse 4 proves that the above theory is correct. Because Mr. Ash has denied God and rebels against him, the logical result is that Mr. Ash must come up with assumptions and theories such as that of evolution to explain the existence of the earth, man, and animal. And what is evolution if not the theory of deep time wherein, quote, one generation passes away, unquote, and another generation comes, and the earth is billions of years old and essentially lasts forever? So that being said, Ecclesiastes is not a book of prophecy which is intending to tell us that the earth will last forever. Instead, Ecclesiastes is a journal looking at everyday life as seen walking in the shoes of those with the mindset of Mr. Ash. In that event, Although the undiscerning never know that they are undiscerning, like Mr. Ash, those who choose to live and look at life without and apart from God will never have a true existence with purpose and meaning, because God and His Word are the only true source for purpose and meaning. Now, in the case of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, quote, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and when the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Unquote. Here we need to recognize that we have an example of a mixture of instruction, prophecy, and Jewish apocalyptic genre. There are both Hebrew idioms and metaphors being used. For example, quote, The Lord will come as a thief in the night. Unquote. In this case, no one really thinks that the Lord is literally coming like a thief, i.e., that he is going to commit some crime of theft, or that he is necessarily coming literally when the sun is down, since no matter when the Lord might come, it will by necessity be daylight somewhere in the world. Instead, it is an idiom meant to say that, like a thief, the Lord will come suddenly, without warning, when you don't expect it. And, like nighttime, many who should be ready will be sleeping, i.e. unaware, unprepared, unconcerned. Insofar as the earth is concerned, when we look at the Bible in total context, we learn that according to many passages, including Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, quote, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea, unquote, that God will indeed destroy or at least recreate the earth, in order to deal with the effects of sin on a fallen world. However, whatever God does regarding the earth has no bearing on the passage in Ecclesiastes, since Ecclesiastes is not saying that the earth will literally last forever. Peter and Ecclesiastes are two different genres of literature, and therefore cannot be placed alongside one another for verbatim comparison, and any attempt to do so is intellectual sophistry and dishonesty. When we understand and recognize the proper genres and cultural idioms of the books and their writers, then we see correctly that there is no contradiction between these two verses. For our next randomly selected apparent contradiction, Mr. Ash asks, Does the Bible direct Christian life to be sacred or profane? For this apparent contradiction, Mr. Ash once again returns to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, which says, quote, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Unquote. Mr. Ash then runs to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 30, which reads quote, And they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. Unquote. Now, in all here, Mr. Ash is under the confused assumption that Ecclesiastes, and by extension God, is advocating or approving of worldly, hedonistic lifestyles. In 1 Corinthians, Mr. Ash incorrectly believes that God is saying he is disapproving or getting revenge on anyone who had any enjoyment in their life, regardless Thus, in Mr. Ash's conflated imagination, there is a contradiction. However, the solution is once again found in the understanding that Ecclesiastes has the theme of looking at the world and life without or apart from God. With this in mind, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying in chapter 9, verse 7, can be paraphrased as follows, quote, If all you care about are the carnal pleasures in life and nothing more, then enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. Just remember that even this could not be realized without the general blessings which God has provided to all, unquote. In other words, God is good and creates beauty everywhere that his nature and character might be known and appreciated by all, even the heathen. His creation is tainted by the effects of sin and rebellion brought by Satan and man. However, even so, in the midst of this, we can still see his hand if we choose to look. The things which God creates and ordains are not evil in and of themselves. Like most things, it is how these things are used or misused which then makes them good or bad. So, in the case of food and drink and indeed life in general, if we make life a carpe diem, epicurean pursuit without regard for God or anything else, then we have the only reward which God is ever giving us or that we deserve in this life. So, we better enjoy. On the other hand, by God's grace, we can view, use, and enjoy life and its blessings as God intended. In this event, first and primarily, take pleasure in and give glory and honor to God despite the circumstances of the immediate life and world in which we are pilgrims. As we sincerely do so, we can paradoxically give thanks and have joy in the appropriate use of those things which God has blessed us with. Secondly, as in every case, the Bible teaches in context that those who choose to rebel and live apart from God though they may have pleasures now, will ultimately be judged accordingly. Even Ecclesiastes teaches this in chapter 11, verse 9, quote, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thy heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou, that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment, unquote. Now, as it turns out, this is precisely what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is teaching in context. Verses 29 through 31 say, quote, But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attracted to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away." In other words, for those whom God has called to himself to be his children, we understand that this world is under the curse of sin and that God will eventually judge the world and those in the world who deny him. At the same time, those who know God and who hear and obey his voice will be rewarded with eternal life if we truly know God and have a relationship with him by faith, then the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit will give us a new nature by which we are transformed daily. And while we may enjoy the gifts and provisions which he gives us now, our primary source and pursuit of enjoyment and joy is in knowing and serving and worshiping God who is forever. Amen. So, once again, there is no contradiction between Ecclesiastes and 1 Corinthians except for Mr. Ash, who fails to understand that these two books have a different genre with a different theme. Once we understand and recognize the context of each, it is evident to see that, in fact, there is a unanimous harmony to both. Now, before we move on, it behooves us to pause and to reflect upon the previous two supposed apparent contradictions, as well as others. In looking at the last two examples and the various books and verses of the Bible which are presented, something very serious presents itself. In both cases, the examples of alleged contradictions and the solutions to them are so patently obvious, they are so basic to sincere entry-level Bible study, that anyone who is even superficially serious in their academic approach to the understanding of the, any literature should With minimal research be able to find the same results and resolve the supposed contradictions in question. These examples and their solutions are so rudimentary that the inability to do so must be questioned as to whether Mr. Ash is unable or unwilling. The presentation of such manifestly basic and simplistic issues, put forth as unassailable conflicts, forces us to question the intellectual integrity and and honesty of those posing the questions. In effect, since Mr. Ash is the one who holds himself out to be the guardian of erudite intellectualism and the pioneer of sophisticated ability to conduct unbiased, unwavering, expert research. We must ask, what prevents Mr. Ash from discovering and understanding such manifestly elementary matters? Lastly, we seriously have to ponder the question. If Mr. Ash demonstrates such fundamentally poor research and scholarship, such intellectual dishonesty in this area? Then, what other areas and pursuits is Mr. Ash failing to do his homework? Moving on for our next randomly selected apparent contradiction, Mr. Ash asks, Can man see God or not? For this apparent contradiction Mr. Ash runs to Genesis chapter 32 verse 30 which says quote, "So Jacob named the place Peniel for he said I have seen God face to face yet my life has been preserved." Unquote. Mr. Ash then compares this to John chapter 1 verse 18 which says quote, "No man has seen God at any time the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, unquote. also Exodus chapter thirty three, verse twenty, quote, and he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live, unquote. Frankly, to these we could add numerous other verses and an abundance of caution to help Mr. Ash with the idea that man can or cannot see God. To play devil's advocate, if we want, like Mr. Ash, to adopt a one-dimensional view of God and superficially look at all the verses in question, we too would doubtlessly be confused and see contradiction. However... In the event we simply accept the reality available to any seven-year-old Sunday school student, we would have a very different reaction. So, what is Mr. Ash missing here? Well, a cursory research of the first century teachings and revelations of numerous passages clearly teach that the God of the Bible is triune. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Blessed God, three in one. So, simply because we open the Bible and see the English word God, we should not automatically assume that what is meant is God the Father. The word God can mean any of the three depending on the context. Secondly, Mr. Ash typically has the erroneous idea that Jesus of Nazareth was simply a man and nothing more. Or worse yet, that he never existed at all. If Mr. Ash can manage to think of Jesus as God, then often Mr. Ash thinks that Jesus is a different God than the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. After all, if Jesus was born, Jesus wasn't born until 3 to 6 BC. Now, while it's true that God the Son was not incarnated and did not take on human form until 3 to 6 BC, God the Son, Jesus, always existed, as did God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The very same book of John, which Mr. Ash quotes from the above verse, says this very thing in the same chapter which Mr. Ash quotes from. Listen to John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. Quote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not." So here it is abundantly clear that John is writing his gospel to demonstrate the divinity of Jesus further it is obvious that jesus is god the son and that jesus as god the son was in existence from all eternity and he was the agent of creation in genesis 1 this is why revelation chapter 1 verse 8 chapter 1 verse 11 chapter 21 verse 6 and chapter 22 verse 13 all refer to jesus as the alpha i.e., the beginning, and the omega, i.e., the last, because Jesus is eternal as God the Son. This is why the same Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself seven times as the I Am. The phrase I Am, I go, I me, is a term meant to equate himself as being equal to, or the same as, God. The fact that Jesus, as God the Son, was always here is verified by Jesus Himself, as He says in John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. The reality that Jesus is equating himself as God is proven by the Jews who heard this and took up stones to stone him for blasphemy in verse 59. For more information about Jesus' proclamations about his being God, see the episode entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? In the end, practically every first-year theologian understands the basic concept and existence of the Trinity. They also understand that the Old Testament is filled with appearances of the pre-existent Christ, God the Son, Jesus, and what are referred to as Theophanies or Christophanies. Granted, it is to be expected at the outset that Mr. Ash is going to have struggles with this and other biblical realities, since the Bible is not simply a book which deals with physical, earthly, material existence and truths, but in fact the Bible reveals the existence of spiritual and or non-material realisms. Consequently, Mr. Ashe will expectantly have a dilemma since Mr. Ash's world and life view and his assumptions and his priory biases do not allow for this. So the first and ultimate answer to any questions about whether it is possible to see or not see God is to understand that the issue must be guided by whether we are talking about seeing God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. In the case of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, the Bible reveals that both are Spirit and not flesh and blood. While human eyes cannot see either, we do indeed see and experience the effects which they have upon the physical and spiritual world. We cannot see the wind, but we can see its effects upon the world. Having said this, God the Son, Jesus, is also God and was God before, during, and after his incarnation. God the Son, Jesus, can be seen by physical eyes, and those who do see him do not necessarily cease to exist or die as a result. The fact of this is evidenced by the reality that one need go no farther than the disciples, Jesus' followers, and hundreds of others who physically saw a physical Jesus, who was both man and God. None of these people who physically saw Jesus died as a result. Secondly, the word quote-unquote see, or quote-unquote seen, and its variant synonyms do not always have to be defined as a literal seeing with the physical eyes. Seeing someone for face-to-face meetings can also, in some cases, be understood as a euphemism for encountering or having an experience with God. So in the case of Genesis chapter 32, verse 30, quote, So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face-to-face, yet my life has been preserved, unquote, Let's keep in mind that what we read here is being related by Jacob. Nowhere in this verse is it said, Thus saith the Lord, I, God the Father, revealed myself to Jacob in all my transcendent glory, and Jacob survived despite the fact that this is not possible." Instead, as stated, God can, in keeping with what we know of God, be revealing himself to Jacob as God the Son, and there would be absolutely no problem with this theory. Let's look at Mr. Ash's pet verse, which he quotes in John chapter 1, verse 18. Quote, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Unquote. Here, John is saying, quote, Yeah, no man has seen God the Father, because God the Father is spirit. However, the only begotten Son, i.e., Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, i.e., who is intimate, who is the visible manifestation of God the Father, hath declared him i.e., Jesus is the physical bodily representation of God. As stated in Genesis chapter 32, verse 30, Jesus is the pineal, i.e., the face of God. I. so Mr. Ash's own verse quoted above is proof of what we have been saying here. Lastly, we have Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. Quote, And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me, and live." In this verse, all of the above issues discussed are likely valid. In addition, this and other verses regarding seeing God may have translational concerns. Here we have the Hebrew word sheyeh, translated live. As we survey this Hebrew word, it can mean several things, including life and live. However, Sheye is sometimes used not to describe mortality or physical survival, but is translated to be, quote, revived, strengthened internally into full life, or even to save a life, unquote. In other words, in context with what we know, God was not saying that if Moses saw his face, that he would physically die. Instead, God was saying that whenever we look at or have an encounter with or are touched by God, we will never be quite the same we will, by God's mercy and grace, be changed forever. Our old nature will be put to death, and we will have a new nature, which to some degree reflects the image of God's. This is again consistent with the message of the New Testament, and the truth and reality of this is nowhere better attested to by the New Testament writers, each of whom tells a story, of how their respective lives were transformed by their encounters with Christ, who is God. Thus, once again, we see that properly understood and discerned, there is no contradiction in any of these verses. The only contradiction is with Mr. Ash, who has chosen to live in isolation within the walls of his own world and life view, with his own priori bias and assumptions, all of which are designed to insulate him from facing the truth and reality of an alternate explanation, existence, and worldview which is in antithesis to his. His. Mr. Ash cannot and will not seriously go there because in order to do so would require taking himself out of the role of supreme and ultimate authority and would correctly replace God as the ultimate authority. Worse yet, Mr. Ash would have to then face the consequences and the condemnation for his rebellion Hence, Mr. Ash's world-and-life-view paradigm is a facade which must be propped up at all costs to avoid prematurely confronting his own fate. In all, today in this series, we have, in each case, serious questions posed by various individuals who hold themselves out to be scholars critical thinkers, intellectuals, and the like, who collectively fall under the pseudonym of Mr. Ash. These and others are questions which individually and collectively serve as the basis by which we are intended to come to the conclusion that the Bible is not God's Word, but rather a collection of myths and fables, only to be believed by the simple-minded and the gullible. However, in truth, these 38 and a myriad remaining others are nothing more than apparent contradictions which exist and remain largely, if not exclusively, due in fact to Mr. Ash's inability or unwillingness to do his research, coupled with his unwillingness to open his mind and heart to God and His Word. This concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I would encourage you to send me an email at pastor-yeshua at yahoo.com. That's p-a-s-t-o-r underscore y-e-s-h-u-a at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening
2: around me I rest, I know that He has found me Christ the rock is my foundation I will trust in Him, I will trust in Him I will trust in Him